Welcome back to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Berkronofsky, senior writer at EDC. Women veterans of the U.S. Armed Services have a lot to offer STEM industries, from their technical skills to their ability to work as part of a team. But the pathway from service to STEM is fraught with structural barriers, and as a result, women veterans are underrepresented in fields such as biotechnology, engineering, and robotics. Solving this challenge is especially important now, as these STEM fields increasingly shape our future. My three guests today all have extensive knowledge about what it takes for women veterans to enter STEM careers. Rebecca Lewis is a STEM and workforce expert at EDC, where she directs Women Veterans in STEM, a National Science Foundation-funded effort to engage and retain women veterans in the STEM workforce. Angela Dixon is an Air Force veteran who worked in higher education before joining TechNIP FMC, a technology provider to the energy industry. Finally, Stephanie Primo served in the Navy, where she was a nuclear electrician. She now works at NASA Langley Research Center. Rebecca, Angela, and Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having us. Very excited for this conversation. Stephanie, let's start with you and your military service. You were a nuclear electrician in the Navy. So what did that job entail and why did it appeal to you? My dad was in the Navy for 24 years, so I kind of had already had the experience of seeing what he did. He was a conventional electrician. And because of his experience and his service, I think that the door was already always there for me. Junior year of high school, I thought I would go to the Naval Academy instead of going enlisted. Um, I did like an intro summer there. Didn't really like it. And I ended up going to college. And after a semester of college, I was like, I can't pay for this. It's too expensive. So my dad was like, why don't you just join? Just go enlisted. There's a nuke program that uh, is one of the toughest schools that you have in the military. And they give you a lot of STEM focus. So if, if I decide to go to college afterwards, I could use my experience. Our, my day-to-day work was doing maintenance and uh, fixing anything that was in the electric plant. So from motor generators, turbine generators, to motor controllers and such. And operationally, I was... A throttleman. So I worked alongside the reactor operator to get the ship going. And did you enjoy the work? I did. I was the only girl in my class most of the time. And when I got to the ship, there were two other women in my division of like 25. So the work was good. It was just always, it always felt like I had to try harder or I had to do more things to get recognized and to get recognized in a way where like, Oh, you're not just getting recognized because you're a woman and we have to recognize you. It was like, I wanted to do it on my own merits. It's, it's a very hard life though. And my, my husband is uh, military and he had the same job after when I got pregnant, right at the end of my tour, I, I I couldn't stay in any longer. I knew that there was something better for me and I really wanted to go back to school and get an engineering degree since that's what kind of I had already been doing mm-hmm. for the last six years. Right. And I'm sure that that whole concept of you have to, you feel like you have to do more and you have to be better. I'm sure we're going to pick up on that later on too. Mm-hmm. Angela, you served in the Air Force for 20 years. Can you tell us about your service? I remember my uncle from California had come to visit. This was after I graduated high school. And I said, oh, I got to do something. And so he said, well, go in the military. But he said, do not do the Marine Corps. And I'm like, why? What's wrong with them? And then I figured, well, I can't swim and I don't like 
digging in the dirt. So I didn't want to do army. So I went and took the ASVAB, didn't score as high. I did a, had a 15 on electronics and I think like a 20 in mechanical, but open general and admin. Oh, I blew that out the water. So sorry for, for non-military people. Can you explain what, it, what it, the 15 and 20 scores are? I don't know if that's high or if that's low. That's, that's low. That's <laughs> like a, a grade in school. <laughs> you have 100% and you got 15. Got it. Yeah. So the, the ASVAB is the entrance exam, if you will, kind of like your SATs for the military, right? So you take that and it kind of determines what type of job you might be suited for. But then the recruiter will ask you, well, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. How about driving an ambulance? That sounds like fun. This is how educated I was, right? Coming from a small town in Texas. So the ambulance thing came to fruition. I did. I drove an ambulance. And then they tried to show me how to start an IV and do shots. And I passed out. So much for that. So I retrained. So 20 years of being a mental health specialist. I was able to travel. I lived in Iceland. I lived in Germany. I lived in the Philippines and all of the warm spaces below the Mason-Dixon line. So I had a really good time being in the military. Would not change it for a thing. But unlike Stephanie, it wasn't a STEM field. It was medical. But I wanted to help people. And so now the job that I have is in a STEM field, but I am a learning manager. So I help people be better to each other and the folks that they're in charge of. So both of you served at different times and in different branches, but at some point you both had to figure out what you were going to do next. And, and now you're both working in STEM fields. So talk a little bit about the pathways that you took to your current positions. And Angela, why don't we, why don't we stay with you first? For me, I was a, a medic for 20. My son was born and diagnosed with autism. So as a mental health specialist, I realized that teaching and special ed was a good path to be on the same schedule with him, to be able to help him through the summers and whatnot. So I did that for about eight years until he graduated. And what I realized was, is I didn't really like little kids that much. I, I, I loved adult learning. And that's what kind of propelled me into this role that I have now. Military has given me the opportunity to be in front of crowds. As a mental health specialist, I have done trainings for anywhere from 60 to 300 people. Just me standing on the stage, talking to people, trying to make them listen to me. That helped me to do what I do now, talking in front of crowds and really trying to throw in a little funny stuff to catch people's ear. But in this STEM field, they're so serious. You know, your engineers and your project managers, and they don't know how to laugh until they come across somebody like me who you just never know what's going to come out of this mouth. Good to know. And Stephanie, what about you? What was your, what pathway did you take to your current position? Right at the end of uh, my tour, I thought that I was going to stay in and I wanted to rewrite though. I didn't want to be in the same field, but that's really hard when you're already in. And especially in the field that I was in, they, they dedicate so much time and training to put you where you're at. So it didn't really work out. And at the same time, I was like, well, what if I get a job working for NAVAC, which is one of the contractor companies that works with the Navy. And that didn't really work out either. And I kept seeing on USA jobs that like I really needed an engineering degree. 
degree. Like I couldn't get away with my technology, my engineering technology degree, which I had gotten while I was in. So I just was like, I'm going to go to ODU. I'm in Norfolk, Virginia. Like it doesn't, it makes the most sense. And my advisor who was a nuke also did 20 years and he was like, do mechanical. And I haven't looked back. And now Stephanie, you're at, you're, you work at NASA right now. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? My title is a cost analyst. I work with pre-phase eight proposal developments. And so right now we're working on a high-speed radar LIDAR um, to measure uh, cloud precipitation. It's not something that I thought that I would be in because it, right, cost analysts, you're like, what does it have to do with engineering? But since I've been here for four years, five years now, and it's eye-opening to see like, wow, you need to know like so much of the engineering world in order to understand how to cost something appropriately. And it's kind of sparked my interest in being a project manager and kind of taking taking over, instead of being a small part of a larger group, I think I see myself managing a group. So talking with my supervisor and stuff, we talked about getting my master's in engineering management. So it's it's kind of pushed me into a into where I'm gonna go in the future. So it's it's been really great. That's excellent. And Angela, can you can you talk a little bit about what you do at Technip FMC? Yes. So to be honest, I have found my love and passion at this late age. I love what I do. So in the military, I was able to do a bachelor's in workforce education and training, a master's in curriculum and instruction, and a second master's when I retired. I was able to use those degrees to get into adult learning. And then a veteran friend of mine who was Navy, she says, oh, I just got this interview for this wonderful job. And I was like, where are you? And so she gave me the posting. She actually put in a recommendation to the hiring manager, and I ended up getting hired to Technique FMC. But I started in the School of Manufacturing. So I was helping put together crane and rigging type training and stuff that, you know, I'd only heard of. But when you're in learning, it's about how you portray that information to the end user. And so it was all intriguing because I've always been a tomboy at heart. I like to get down and dirty with stuff. I love what I do because I teach leadership courses. I teach communication courses. I teach anything that a manager needs to help them be a better person for their people. And one thing, Stephanie, if you don't do anything else in life, get your master's and manage people. Because what I know for sure about military people is we've had some extensive training. If nothing else, boot camp gets you ready to be in a workforce to where you know how to stay time oriented and you know how to work which means you'll know how to lead if you stay there long enough. That's excellent. So Rebecca, I'd like to bring you in here. You've listened to Angela and Stephanie tell their stories just now, and you've known them for a while, and they've been part of the the work you're doing at EDC. Are their experiences representative of other women veterans who are interested in pursuing STEM careers after their service? Absolutely. I think one of the things that we've heard from many of the women veterans that we've talked to, and even looking at a lot of the research out there, is that there are women who are in the military serving, have have real passion, great skills, and but they don't necessarily always have 
the experiences that Stephanie and Angela had in that they don't necessarily have people in their lives who push them to pursue that passion, particularly beyond the military. And I think the, the thing that we hear time and time again for those who are successful in going into STEM careers is that they have mentorship or they have had other people in their lives who have just provided them with a story or a job application or so, something that's really helped them to fulfill that goal. Whereas others don't necessarily know how they're going to translate their skills from their service into post-service careers. And that's really where we're trying to make a difference right now. So we're trying to say there needs to be some more institutionalized opportunities for our service members to understand how to translate their service into um, a career after they leave the military. Right. Are there are there also some structural barriers that keep women veterans out of STEM careers? I mean, you, you just referenced the fact that you know, both Stephanie and Angela had people who were pushing them or, or they sort of took it upon themselves to, to choose these fields. But I know that it's not always just an individual decision to decide to go into STEM or to stay out of it. So talk a little bit about some of the structural barriers that you are confronting as you do this work. One of the first and foremost barriers is the, the fact that military service can actually be seen as a gap in employment history. So for a company that's going and recruiting uh, for a position, they may see uh, that a service job was not necessarily directly related to what the job is for, and therefore it can be seen that you were out of work for some time. So that's a pretty significant barrier to um, particularly going to STEM careers. The other institutional barrier that I think is quite prevalent and, and is being somewhat addressed now is that STEM degrees often take a long time to get. Many jobs in STEM are not just even a bachelor's degree uh, as a basic requirement. And until quite recently, the GI Bill, which helped veterans go through uh, second post-secondary education, only covered four years of schooling. So that still left many veterans with no opportunity to support themselves and to pay for the college education that is so expensive. There is not enough support from our point of view in helping those service members who might be in jobs more like Angela's, where it's not necessarily a direct connection to what would I do in a STEM field after this, for them to think about pursuing those careers after. And how am I really going to think about what kinds of careers uh, would be beneficial for me, would allow me to make a good salary to support my family? Uh, And that's a final barrier that I would mention is that particularly for women veterans, they are often the primary caretaker of children. And so once they leave the military, having the support to be able to go back to school and put in the the years that might take to get a degree can be a real challenge for them as they're trying to support a family as well. Angela and Stephanie, I want to turn back to you for a moment too. So how do you feel that your military service has informed how you do your job? So for me, I can give a really good example where Recently, we had to review some uh, professional papers for um, a a conference, and me and a few of the other guys were meeting every day, going over these papers. And in the military, they used to like to in ours in our field specifically, they used to like the term like "don't nuke it," "don't overthink it," "don't what is A and what is B," and tell me C. Like that's it. And the guys that I work with are so into what they do. 
that sometimes we'll be in a meeting for like two hours discussing this paper. And I'm like, okay, guys, can we just like agree on what the ratings are? For me, my experience in the military, I've been able to find my voice in our meetings and like rein the people in who just want to sit there and talk for like two hours on, on a topic to them is very interesting. But like the rest of us, we have other things going on. I think Angela said it perfectly, like time management and knowing what you need to get done that day and getting to the point quicker and helping your teammates get to that point with you. I agree because a lot of meetings that I am in, I'm often (laughs) called the sergeant at arms because I will tell, okay, you know, that's fine and dandy, but uh, time's ticking. You you just move people along because, you know, in the military, it was about taking care of each other. It was about like that buddy system. It was about making sure somebody had your back because you had somebody else's back. So I kind of keep the same approach right, to to just honoring people's space and time. So Rebecca, at EDC, you've been leading the Women Veterans in STEM project, and that's an effort to better understand the opportunities and the barriers for women veterans in STEM. Why is it important for STEM employers and STEM industries to hire more women veterans who have experiences like Angela and Stephanie? I mean, what what's in it at the STEM industry level? Sure. I think they really highlighted some of the reasons that industry should be bringing more women veterans into the field in that they really do have an amazing set of interpersonal skills that they bring from their service, including a work ethic, uh, the ability to really adapt to different teams and different situations. Certainly when they have worked in the kinds of fields that both Angela and Stephanie worked in, they've had to have work with a range of people, change situations, really learn to, to work no matter what was happening around them. And even having the opportunity to, pro- to provide leadership to others. And I think there are lots of different ways that within the military, there are opportunities for people to gain those leadership skills, transfer very well into a corporate environment. Um, and I think those are really something that many STEM fields are interested in, those kinds of skills and and need and could benefit from. What are some concrete things that either lawmakers can do or that STEM industries can do to both recruit and retain more women veterans and to really take advantage of the valuable skills and experiences that, that they offer? From my side, I think it's more around companies and post-secondary institutions taking a look at their requirements and thinking about how military service and experience can be useful um, toward meeting those requirements. So often veterans will come in with a skill set and knowledge set similar to what Stephanie was talking about, where they've gone through 12 months of learning in classrooms and six months of on-the-job experience. That's not recognized in a degree program often. Or a company will be looking for a certain degree level and a certain number of years of experience, but they don't account for military experience. So I think really a huge step that we could take forward is trying to institutionalize recognition of military service to help ease the the transition from a service career to a civilian career. I think uh, Rebecca really hit, hit it that it comes down to, in my experience, like my ODU was great. They're super military friendly. I had a really good advisor who just happened to have the same job that I had. 
knew what I went through in order to help me navigate. And at the end of, I think the last year that I was in, they had created a program called Veterans in STEM. And it was, one, we would meet once a week. It was, a, it was considered a one credit course. And it was a group of veterans, right, who are all pursuing STEM degrees. And you could range from a freshman to a senior. The only stipulation was that you had to have above a 3.0 and you could be in this class. And the class taught us things like resume writing, how to do USA jobs. I got to meet people from Northern Grumman, somebody from Boeing, people that I wouldn't have been in the room with if it wasn't for this course that was given to us. And it was given to us through a grant. So I think that commercial partners, people can be more invested in where their money goes. And something like what I experienced really was life-changing. And I know for some of the people, it really was because this course, not only did they give money for us to do this course, they gave us scholarship money. There was no stipulation as to what you could use that money for. My daughter at the time was in daycare. I had it. It's hard to go to school, afford daycare and still work. And my husband was gone. That really helped me specifically. And I know it helped the people who were in the class with me. I think that actually brings up a really great idea for something that could be done is there are a lot of military contractors who get a lot of taxpayer money. And it really should probably be a stipulation of some of those monies that they are doing more to bring in service members into their workforce as they transition into their uh, civilian life. You know, they, they obviously know the system that these defense contractors or others are working in and, and can therefore have less sort of onboarding time. And, and often there are a large number of veterans who are working for these companies, but I think having them actually help with the transition would be a significant benefit. I think the GI Bill needs to be reviewed because when you get out, if you can't go to school full time, you run out of GI Bill money. I don't know an adult who can get out of the military who can go for 18 hours because in order to be able to maximize your GI Bill, you need to take at least 16 to 18 semester hours in order to get a degree with the GI Bill. We've got to do, I think, uh, or make a louder voice somehow in legislation because companies who hire vets get a tax break. And so, you know, companies are benefiting, but it's like they are only looking for certain types of vets. And a lot of times too, this PTSD thing that gets thrown out, well, I don't know if I can hire a vet. What if they, you know, lose it or whatever? Well, when we look at the news, yeah, now you see in vets do some strange things, but you've seen everybody do strange things. So you can't blame it on that. You just have to take that opportunity to give back because that's what we did. I mean, I didn't want to give my life for 20 years, but hey, it worked out and I don't regret it. Not one minute. And a final question for all three of you. Um, So we hear a lot about the need to diversify STEM education and the STEM fields themselves. And we often approach this, I think, at the macro level. So we see that a specific group is underrepresented and we want to put in place structures that better support that group's entry into a field. And I know EDC does a lot of this sort of across the board. But I'm wondering about the individual impact of broadening participation in STEM on each of you. You've each talked about your 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 journeys to your current positions and sort of what 
what it's been like to be, you know, a woman and a veteran in these in these STEM spaces. So why is it important both personally and professionally to make sure that more women veterans choose STEM fields? Well, if I had a known in 2003 that the STEM field was where the money was, I would have been there a long time ago. I would have not gone to Southern Illinois University for a degree in education. I would have done, well, I'd have suffered through engineering because I wasn't the smartest whip coming out of my high school. But the thing is, when you think about women, a lot of times they're single parents. And so they've got to make the income of two people in order to survive. Well, in STEM fields, you get paid pretty well to be pretty smart. So if we can tell our female vets, hey, if you are ready to go to school, consider not everybody's meant to be in math and science. I know that. Or even technology. So if they are, though, or if they want to be in human resources, because my job learning falls under human resources, talent management, talent acquisition. You need all those. You need finance. You need accounting. You need legal. You need all of that in the STEM industry. Right. So find something you're passionate about. Be good at it and get your degree in it. But look at STEM. Fantastic. And Stephanie, what about you? I second everything that she said. Um, For me, so I had a daughter while I was in school. And then my senior year, I decided that I was going to get pregnant and have another child. And I wasn't going to let that deter me. Like, I think that for women who want to have a family, they don't think that having a family in STEM go hand in hand, right? When you think of STEM, especially like where I work, people, long hours, right? You are devoted to your work. You don't have time for everything else. And to me, that wasn't going to be me. I wasn't going to let that be a handicap or deterrent to what I was doing. And I brought my son in when I had finals for my heat mass transfer final. I brought him in after two weeks of having him, wrote him in the little stroller, sat down and I took my final. Like, and I didn't ask for permission. I just did it. Afterwards, the teacher was totally cool with it. I brought my son to like three other classes because it was my senior year was the end of the semester. And my husband was gone. I had no daycare. He was four weeks old. And I had my own biases of, of, I don't think I'm allowed to do this, but you can have both. You can have a family. You don't need, it doesn't need to be either, or you just have to have the mind determination, right? To do what you need to do to get to the next step. And Rebecca, I'll give you the final word here. Yeah, I, I will just say that I think women who have already served our country and been in these jobs have already shown that they can do pretty much anything they want to. And For us, it's really a matter of giving them an opportunity and the same opportunity that their male counterparts might have, particularly if they might have been in more technical fields than female veterans were, and and just showing them that you have succeeded, you, you have had this career already, and therefore, if you are interested, you should pursue it. I think Angela really hit the nail on the head when she said, you can make more in STEM fields, even if you're not an engineer or a scientist yourself, you can make really good money. And you may be working long hours, but you may be working long hours and really hard in a non-STEM field and not making that money. So you might as well have the opportunity and get some benefit from the skills you have developed. 
Rebecca, Angela, and Stephanie, it was really wonderful to have you on the podcast today. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your experiences and being here with me. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. To learn more about EDC's work to support women veterans, visit us online at edc.org.